My, uh, as you know, you probably know, my name is Brian Vickers. That may or may not be a picture of me there in the book. It's one of my doppelgangers, I guess. Um, you might notice the title is a little different. It's, that's it. I mean, it's the same content that I always planned on. Um, to be honest with you, when I turned the title in, I don't know, June, July, I just sort of forgot what the title was, and this was as close. I mean, I got pretty close considering I kind of forgot the title. Um, It's pretty close, though, and that's what it's about. So the content has never changed. I want to assure you of that. Uh, The title's just slightly different. So um, from whatever you can tell from a title, I guess I should tell you a little bit about myself. Some of a few of you recognize uh, I teach here in town at a local seminary called Southern Seminary. I've been there for about 10 years or so. Um, lived in Louisville a little bit longer than that. My involvement in mission started about, around, actually right around 10 years ago. As I say somewhere, I don't know, in a book or some hand, I don't know, something I saw that's handed out. I don't know where it is. Um, I don't believe in accidents, but my... Personal involvement sort of started by accident. I'm not going to use air quotes one more time today. That's it. If I have to hold on to both of these things the rest of the day, I'm not going to do that one more time. If I do, point it out to me. And I'll try not to do it again. Um, about ten years ago, I mean, I, I had, of course, I was always support. I mean, who doesn't support missions, right? I mean, it's in the Bible, after all. So everybody, I've, not, I've yet to meet somebody who who claims to be a Christian uh, and talked about missions, they say, I'm against it. I mean, there actually is. You might not know this, but in certain parts of the country. I'm from West Virginia originally. And, um, yeah, Mountaineers. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, okay. There's probably way more. They just won't say anything. That's what it is. Um, and there's little, there's actually little enclaves of churches. It's not that they're against missions. It's just that they don't feel personally called to it. I'm not going to get into that. We're not going to talk about it. Um, but I haven't met too many people who say, no, what are you talking about? I don't even know that that's in the Bible. So everybody recognizes it's in the Bible. But, I mean, and so I guess I, you know, I assumed I was completely on board. Uh, but, you know, one day I was in church and uh, this just happened. I mean, somebody, I was walking down the aisle. I, mean, I wasn't going forward. I was after church. I was just walking up and somebody tapped me on the shoulder. I turned around and there's nobody there. That's not true. There was a student standing right behind me. <laughs> that works every time. It usually offends about four or five people, but everybody else thinks it's funny. And so if you're the four or five who think you shouldn't joke about things like that, I'm, I'm sorry. I, forgive me. I'll just ask for forgiveness now that it's over. Um, and he said, uh, hey, uh, we're going on a mission trip to India, and uh, we've lost our faculty supervisor or faculty team leader, whatever we're called. Uh, because of an illness, can you do it? I mean, I had lived overseas. I'd lived in, in England for a while. I'd been to Europe, and I'd visited Africa, not really not on a mission trip. I was doing something else. And um, it took me about three seconds, and I said, yeah, sure. I mean, trip to India, right? And so it sounded pretty good. Uh, but I have to be honest with you. Probably a lot of my motivation was just the excitement of a trip to South Asia. Never been. And it sounded like a kind of a cool thing to do, and I thought I would enjoy it. I did enjoy it, but I ended up enjoying it in ways that I didn't sort of maybe count on, in that 
once I got there, one of the things that dawned on me was, you know, I've only really kind of supported missions in name and sometimes in giving. But the, one of the things I'd fallen into, and I think a lot of people fall in, into this, is that I, I guess I had pretty much considered missions to be, mo- to a large degree, geographical. Right? When I thought about missions, I sort of defined it or thought of it geographically. And you could sort of tell if somebody's doing missions based on where they are geographically. Now, never mind the fact that the Bible says go into all the world or uh, through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we're actually out in the nations. I know we have this idea that the nations begin here, but they don't. So we're actually already out in the nations just by being born. Um, But I guess one of the things, one of the many things that stuck with me from that trip was, you know, I talk about missions a lot. It comes up when I'm teaching. I, mean, I teach New Testament at church and when I'm preaching or teaching. But it had never really, I guess, dawned on me maybe in a personal way that it wasn't just about sort of geography and things that some people do. Right? Um, of course, some people are full-time mission. We, don't, we, don't, we can't keep making up words. We have to call them something. Right? So, of course, some people are full-time missionaries. And we don't need to come up with a whole new vocabulary, right? So we still have to use words, and we we still have to mean certain things by them. That's just obvious. Um, but over the after that trip, and then over the years, I began to get more and more introduced to this idea of missions as not just a thing in the Bible, but as part and parcel of the big big story of the Bible, and not just a story in like a once upon a time story, but part of the story in the Bible, which happens to be the story of the world, everyone. And so, by definition, by definition, if we claim to believe in the Bible and we claim to believe uh, in Christ as he's, revealed, as, as he's revealed in the Bible to us, and, um, then we are by definitions, by de- definitions, we are by definition sort of included in that story. There's no way around it. it is, it's our story. And it kind of becomes a matter of how conscious we are of it and how we, how we live it out. I, heard, I once heard this great story. Uh, some of you will know this name, Leslie Newbigin. Raise your hand if you've heard of Leslie Newbigin. If you haven't heard of Leslie Newbigin, he is one of the, he is one of the top um, missionary pastor scholars of the 20th century. He lived in India Virtually most of his professional career, um, I really want to encourage you to get his book, uh, the, the Gospel in a Pluralist Society. I think that's the name of it. But Leslie Newbigin. It's, and it's spelled just like it sounds. N-E-W. How does it sound? N-E-W-B-I-N-G-E-N. Leslie Newbigin. Well, he was, I'm going to paraphrase the story. He was in India, lived there, and a, and a Hindu teacher came up and was talking to him. I guess he knew this guy pretty well. And he said, I don't really understand you Christians. And, you know, it's probably not the first time he'd ever heard that. And he basically said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you have this book. And it's, it's, you have this book that tells the story of everything. Like, that's the claim. The claim in this book, the Bible, is that it comprehends the story of everyone. And nobody's left out. Right? And this is what you believe. This is the thing you say you believe in. And it, it, it does, it, it, sort of, it sort of enfolds and encapsulates the story. You, you, have, you have a story for how everything came into being. And not just how everything came into being, but where it's going. Where it's been and where, it's, where it is now and where it's going. 
And he said, how come nobody ever tells us about this? He said, mostly what happens is the Bible gets presented to us as kind of a new book of religion of do this and don't do that. Now, of course, there's, there's plenty of that in there. But you, he said, you Christians seem to think about this, not in terms of the story, but in terms of just sort of another sort of competing religion that you kind of put up against others, kind of based on, you know, based on whatever, you're, whatever you're emphasizing. He said, but why don't you tell people about what the Bible teaches? And that it, it, teaches, it teaches a complete story of the entire world. And yet, you know, you, you don't seem to talk about it too much. And so what I want to talk about today is basically the Bible. Um, now, and we're going we're gonna to cover a lot, but don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. You know, it's the Bible, so it's a lot. Um, but what I want us to do is get a vision of how the story in the Bible... And by the way, when I use the word story, which I'll use over and over and over again, I do not mean it, of course, just to cover all my bases, I do not mean it, of course, in a once upon a time sort of fairy tale-like story. Okay? It's just, don't read too much into it. It's just, it's a story. It's a story. It's true. It's a story. Um, I want us to kind of get a vision of how it's not just a thing that we tell people about, which, which it is a thing we tell people about, but it's not just a story out there about some people who lived a long time ago, and they did a whole bunch of stuff, and then there was one big event, and then now we're, just, now we're waiting for this last big event. Now, none of what I just said is not true. But the way the Bible presents it is, as Christians, we're called to be part of the story. It's our story. Everybody has a story, right? What's your story? Well, if we're all Christians, whoever claims to be a Christian, we all have sort of one story that def- tells us who we are. And tells us where we're going. And tells us what we're meant to be doing in this world. And what's going on in this world. And it's hardwired. The big story of the Bible is hardwired to God's story of missions. And missions is not just, as we'll see in a minute, kind of a handful of texts that come to mind when you think about what missions is. Because I think, uh, if I would say, why should we go into missions? What would you say? What would your answer be? Like, okay, just pretend that you just met me. And I walked into this place. There's thousands of people here. I'm like, why do you go on missions? Like, give me some, give me a reason. What would you say? Okay, reach the lost. What, yeah, but what, what does that, okay, yeah, reach the lost. And then, yeah, tied to, of course, like the Great Commission, right? Now, when we think about missions, the Great Commission should always come to mind, Right? And so I'm not here to say, hey, guess what? I mean, it should always come to mind. But what I want to say is the Great Commission is just the tip of a giant iceberg that is connected all the way back to the beginning of the story. And particularly, literally, and blatantly connected all the way back to the story of Abraham. So that, I'm going to give the end away, I may as well. When you share, when you go out into missions, whatever your particular calling in missions is, and there's probably as many particular callings to missions or being missional or whatever you want to call it, and, um, there's probably as many as there are people in this room. Right? So this applies if you're, if, you're, if you're studying medicine, if you're studying nursing, if you're, studying, um, if you're, gonna, if you're doing sort of relief sort of work or Things like you know, potable water, whatever it is you're doing, including living your life every day as somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus, 
So now everybody's involved. Then, this is a story that goes back to an ancient promise made to Abraham. So when you wake up every day, and when you are living missionally, right? This, that's what, that's what we, it's a word we use a lot now. What you're doing is you're out in the world living that out, living out that God has kept his promise to a man called Abraham centuries and centuries and centuries ago. And when you open your mouth to share with people, um, and you're, you're sharing verbally with people, what you're basically saying is, you know what? God kept his promise from ages and ages and ages ago. Because that's really what the Great Commission is all about. And so I like to talk about it in terms of a story. There's the Great Commission. I'll just read it. We all know it. That Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Hopefully, we all have that memorized, and we all know it. But I, I, I do want to say this, that missions in the Bible, and the story of missions in the Bible, and how we're meant to take part in that story, is more than just kind of like a pocket full of proof texts that tells us that sort of, you know, we have like four or five things that we can list. Now, there are several specific texts that we should know and be able to list, but they don't sort of exist kind of just out there in a vacuum. Like a bag of texts. Here's a bag of missions texts. Here's a bag of whatever else texts. Right? I'm, not, I'm just going to leave it at that because I'll eventually I'll offend somebody almost right off the bat. So I got my bag of missions texts. I got my bag of church texts. I got my bag of family texts. Whatever. Okay? They're all they're all interconnected and none more so than than uh, than missions. And I think it's good to think of it in terms of a story. I don't know how often you think of the Bible as a complete, comprehensive story from beginning to end. There's a lot of things in there, but it really is a comprehensive story. It kind of begins and ends in the same sort of way. I'll just give you one example. It begins in a garden, right? Well, it ends ends with a, a vision of a city coming down that is watered by a river, that has a tree in it, um, that's filled with precious stones and, and jewels, just like, the, just, just like described in Genesis 2. Um, and you get this all the way throughout. And so the vision at the end of the Bible is a renewed and recreated and restored and better than ever, than the original ever could be, new garden. And so it ends, and then if you go, uh, I can't stop myself. If you go like, think about the, think about the inside of the temple in the Old Testament. Right? There's, the, 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 there's, there's a basin of water. There's a candlestick that's, that's wound up or, or, or it's forged into it or leaves and, and flowering things. And there's pomegranates and fruit and things on the curtains. And it's not just because God thought, we need some really nice interior design in there. It's specific because it, it sort of, it calls to mind that same kind of garden imagery because that's the imagery of God, God's presence being with people. And so it's all the way throughout, all the way throughout the Bible. So, Richard Bauckham, this is, a great, this is a great book, The Bible and Mission, and it's really thin. So another book to get. The Bible and Mission, um, we all instinctively understand the world by telling stories about it. When people ask you about yourself, like today, you've met all kinds of new people, basically what you did is you told them some snippet of the story of your life, right? Either short or long. 
that that's what we do when we talk to each other. When we introduce each other, where are you from, we start telling a story. That's just what we do when we communicate. And so the, and the Bible's the same kind of way. If the Bible offers a meta narrative, that just means a big story that comprehends everything. Meta narrative is just big story includes everything. The story of all stories, then we should be able to place our own stories within that grand narrative and find our perception and experience of the world transformed by that connection. And that's really what I want, that's really where we, where we should be at today. Talking about how this story should transform us, how it should move us, how it should change us. And not just be like the story out there, this objective thing out there that we know some facts about, more or less, depending. But how it, it's never just some kind of sterile thing that we just know things about. It's what should define us and what should kind of make us tick. What should get us up in the morning. What should tell us what we're meant to be doing. And especially tell us what, to, what we're meant to be doing during all those days where we're not doing anything particularly outstanding. Right? That's the great thing about the story of the Bible is it comprehends our life and not just in terms of these great future events that we might that we might take part in if God grants us the days and the opportunities. Right? Because it takes into account the, every single day, most of which is not all that remarkable. Right? I'm, I mean, mine isn't. But, and so we need to be able to think about this in terms of how it defines us, not just in big special events, not just when we change geography. But when we open our eyes in the morning, because if it doesn't change us fundamentally and it doesn't shape us fundamentally, when we open our eyes in the morning where we are that day, we shouldn't think, you know, what you know, it'll cause a change in me, a change in geography. A change in geography only kind of highlights what's already there. It doesn't all of a sudden sort of transform you into some kind of superhuman. It basically just magnifies what you already are. And what you're already into and what you're already, how you're sort of clicking on an everyday basis. A big culture and geographical change, what that will do is magnify that. It will. It will. And that's why it's so important that we have to think about missions, not as just out there. I keep pointing out there. I don't mean in the parking lot, but out there in the world. We can't just think of it that way. Right? Because if we do, then we're just thinking of it as something that some people do and we might do later or maybe we know we do sometimes, or maybe we're just on stateside, or whatever you might be. We can't think of it that way. We have to think of it more comprehensively. All right, so, this is the story of the Bible. I told you we're covering the whole Bible. I'm getting ready to read the story of the Bible to you. So, if somebody says to you, did you read the Bible last year? He's like, yeah, and had it read to me. Completely. In a matter of speaking. So here's the Bible. God created the world, created human beings who rebelled against him, attempting to become the one thing they could never be. That is, creators rather than the creatures, right? That's what, that's what got them. The temptation, you can be like God. Even though God created you, and you didn't create, you are a creature, you can be just like him. Right? Absolutely impossible. But that's the thing that tripped them up. Just like that's the thing that trips us up every day when we fall into temptation. And then he said, that is God, set about carrying out his eternal plan to redeem them through his son, Jesus Christ, and through him to create a people who would believe, obey, and worship the only true God and make his good news of life in Christ known to a world in rebellion, and finally to establish fully his kingdom in a new heaven and a new earth with Christ the King reigning forever. There's some details left out, but that's kind of an overview. It's really 
it takes longer to do than you might think to do that. And then when you read it, you think, I've got to start again. So anyway, I'm gonna, usually when I talk about this, um, what we're talking about today, I will start sort of Genesis 1. Now, we're kind of limited in time. So I'm going to start in Genesis 11. Now, you might think, why Genesis 11? What's even in Genesis 11? Right? You might know Genesis 12, where Abraham comes on the scene. But the story of Abraham begins in Genesis 11, where you find something astonishing about his wife and about him that makes the next chapter even more remarkable. And now this is a genealogy, right? Now, what's a genealogy? What's a genealogy do? It tells you where people have come from and who their relatives were and how they got to where they are right now, right? And it's the thing, like if you do a daily Bible reading and you have chronicles, your Bible reading's really fast for like seven days in a row, right? That's how we kind of look at genealogies. But genealogies are packed with things. And generally speaking, generally speaking, most of the genealogies in the Bible do things like what they're basically doing is recounting what God has been doing. Not just the stories of people, it's the story of how God's been keeping his promises. Like all these people, like if you, if you go and like read the beginning of the book of Numbers, it's tons of genealogies. But what does this show? That what started with 12 guys back in Palestine, and then some people who went off into Egypt, and then were enslaved, is now 600,000 people, just men alone. So God's kept his promise to Abraham. And you get all that from a genealogy. So anyhow, this is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's life was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Well, Sarai, of course, becomes Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Now, if, let's just for a second pretend that we've never read the Bible before. You get to this, and what do you think about this guy, Abraham? Yeah, it's done, right? So much for him. I don't know why he came up. I guess because he's this guy's brother. But now it's done. His wife can't have children. It's the end of this genealogy as far as Abraham's concerned. And that's what makes what happens next so remarkable. The Lord comes to this very guy who we just found out like seconds earlier. Seconds earlier, if you're reading. That he can't have children. And God comes and says, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I mean, that's a pretty huge promise. I mean, that's dramatic no matter what. God shows up and talks to somebody. That's a dramatic thing. No matter how, if you don't even know anything about his background, that's a big deal. Now, it's even a bigger deal if you consider what it is that God is promising him. I'm going to make you a great nation. What do you generally need to become a great nation if you're the one who's going to start it? Yeah, you need kids. That's where it starts. And we already been, we've already been told that's not going to happen. So you see, that one little thing, that one little piece of information about Sarai being barren sets the scene for God to do something absolutely astonishing. 
and breathtaking. He comes and promises all the world's going to be blessed through you. Which means what? So for Abraham to be a blessing to the world, what has to happen? God has to act. It sets the scene for God to be the main character, for God to be the main actor, for God to be the one who's going to make all this happen. Not Abraham. Obviously he's involved. But the one who's going to make it happen is going to have to be God. Because we've already been told that sort of, on a sort of a natural level, it's not going to happen. So, we'll speed up a little bit. Well, things go on for a long time. Several years. The promise doesn't get fulfilled. I'm sure at one point somebody comes up to Abraham, it's like 25 years later, and says, you know, that promise, it's not really working out for you, is it? I mean, it's been 25 years. But Abraham hangs in there. Um, I don't know about you, but usually it takes me like a day before I start thinking, maybe that's really not the way I need to go. It's been 24 hours. I haven't really got any solid word on this. Maybe I better change, sort of like redirect or something. Abraham goes 25 years. Now, he's not perfect in the meantime, and he's getting ready. He's thinking, okay, I still don't have any kids, and I got this promise hanging out there. Something's got to happen. I'm just gonna, there's a guy in my household named Eleazar. I'm going to make him my heir and get this thing rolling. And God comes and says, nope, look up at the heavens and count the stars if you can count them. And he says, so shall your offspring be. So I'm going to really fast forward now. God keeps his promise to Abraham. He has a son. And, um, whoops. His son, of course, is Isaac. Isaac has a son, a couple of sons. He has one son who's kind of sneaky and underhanded. His name is Jacob. He tricks his brother, because his brother's really hungry, and he tricks his brother into giving everything for a bowl of soup. And Jacob becomes the father of 12 people. And as I said before, they go into Egypt because there's famine in Israel. All kinds of things happen to get them there. And those 12 people come out of there over 600,000 strong, and that's just counting the men. And so they're already a pretty big deal, a pretty big nation. And then they come back, and of course this is Israel, right? This is Israel. And they come back, and did Israel really, did Israel have a mission? Like when you think of missions, what do you think about Israel in like the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament? Israel didn't really have a mission like we do. Their mission was to stay put and be Israel. And to show people what God was like by being Israel in their place. Their contact with the nations was like as a witness. They were there. They didn't really go out into the nations. Now, in the meantime, though, in the meantime, there are certain people who show up in Israel. People like Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Naaman, the Shumanite woman, Uriah. Do you know what's common about all these people? None of these people are Israelites. They're all Gentiles, and every one of them is in the genealogy of Jesus in the New Testament. Every single one of them. So in that sense, in that sense, the nations, the nations are folded in in this kind of way of looking forward. Because all these people, and they, they stand out, but they stand out because there's not that many of them. There's not that many of them. But yet, as the Old Testament goes on, you still have this promise. All the nations of earth are going to be blessed. All the nations of earth are going to be blessed. That's still going on. 
That's, and, it, and centuries go by. And it's easy when you're reading the Old Testament to sort of feel like this really doesn't have much to do with me. It's about a whole bunch of people who lived a really, really long time ago. Well, it actually has everything to do with you and everything to do with me because if we're sitting there reading the Old Testament, what it means is if you're actually sitting there just physically reading it as a believer, you know what it means? All the promises back there, God kept them. The evidence, you're sitting there reading it as a believer in Jesus. That's you, you, me, us, today, evidence that all those things that seem so remote and so sort of detached from our lives, we're evidence that it's true. We're evidence that God did all those things that he said he would do and that he kept his promises. I'm going to skip that. So as you go through the Old Testament, remember Abraham's promise? Psalm 86, 9, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. Isaiah 12, in that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim what his name, proclaim that his name is exalted. Isaiah 66, I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of these who survived to the nations, to Tarshish and the Libyans and Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece, and to the distant islands that they have not heard of, where they have not heard of my fame and seen my glory, they will proclaim my glory among the nations. I mean, this start, we started the Great Commission. This should start, I mean, this should be ringing bells, right? But this is, this is way back in Isaiah. Then Habakkuk. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So, going back, we, we, we had to fast forward. You move in the Bible, in the Old Testament, from a single man, Adam, Right? And Adam is thrown out of the garden. What happens? You have the nations begin, especially at the Tower of Babel. And then, so you have the nations, and then Abraham is called out of the nations, right? And then Abraham and his family kind of go back into the nations when they go to Egypt. And then they come back to the land. You have this Israel, like sort of singular, singular thing. And then through Israel, of course, comes... The Christ. And from the Christ, you get a command whoops, to go into all the world and make disciples of all the people. In what? To do what? What's he, what's he calling us to do? To take part in that story and go say to people and live it out that God keeps his promises. So that we understand that's not just, that that's a story about us. And that's a story that should every day, every day, that story should have an impact on us because it's who we are. And it, it should have an impact on us right now, like this second. Not because I'm talking about it, and not because I'm sort of talking about it sometimes excitedly. I just always sort of talk this way. But because it's true about you. It's true about me. This is what makes us tick. And this is what, so this, this is great news. So you don't, it, it doesn't matter like what your particular kind of calling is. You don't have to kind of come up with like a special reason or of how that fits in the missions. Or, or have like a, you know, like a set number of texts to prove that your gifts and callings that God has given you fit. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are, into, some of you are doing missions in certain ways. And I'm sure you've had conversations with other people and they're like, I don't know if that's missions or not. Right? Don't you get that? I mean, people at this conference get that more than anybody. You do. 
Because, I mean, because you'll, you'll tell people what you're doing. They're like, well, I don't know if that's missions. I mean, it's, of course, missional. Right? Then, we, then all the terms start flying and what's going on. But here's the great news. You don't have to make sort of like special excuses for yourself based on like whatever callings and gifts and abilities that God's given you. And you don't have to have the callings and gifts and abilities that God has given the person beside you. Because he'll never judge you on the basis of what the guy or the girl beside you can do. Not ever. All you have to do is understand that this is your story. The story in the Bible is yours. You're part of it. And it's clear that you're part of it because why are you in, why in the world are you in this room right now? Why are you at this conference? You know why? Because that story is true and God has kept his promise. And so you, you don't have to have like, oh, okay, here's my thing. I'm into, I, let's, say you're, let's say your training is in nursing, okay? Well, you don't have to come up with sort of like special Bible text to prove that you can be a nurse and be doing missions, right? And you don't have to argue, like try to make your case. All you got to do all you got to do is understand that this is your story, and whatever you do applies, right? Now, of course, it, it, of course, it's there's a lot more we can we need to say, and we need to talk about how, of course, like ultimately, what you know, what we're talking about is connecting with people so that they come to know, right? Now, right, I'm, I'm, there's a lot of things I'm leaving out, but I'm just talking about the thing is that gets you sort of motivated and out the door. Well, we can't skip this. Think about this. Centuries later, they've been waiting in Israel forever. They've gone into exile. They've come back. In the meanwhile, there's been Assyrians there. There's been Babylonians there. There's been people that you might not have heard of before called Seleucids. That's kind of a weird name. They, they're, they're now called, it's sort of like where Syria is now. There's been these people called Ptolemies there, and they're, they're from Egypt. Israel's had a horrible time for like 400 years. 400 years silence, nothing, lots of persecution, lots of troubles, lots of people, lots of wars, lots of factions, just on and on and on. And then one day this couple from like the boondocks comes in, right? I mean, they do, they are. They come in, it's this guy who's a carpenter and this young woman. It's very average. And they walk in with a baby, a baby, eight-day-old eight baby, and they walk into the temple, and there's this old guy there named Simeon. And he's just been there for a long time. Because God had said to him, you're not going to die until you see that I keep my promises. So, okay, try to imagine this scene. Here's this old guy. This couple comes in, tiny baby, eight days old, coming to... to to do the requirement of the law for circumcision. They walk in. This old man sees a baby. Like, holding your hand baby that does all the stuff that babies do. Right? Not like a glowing baby or a haloed baby. It's a baby. Like, that does every, whatever babies do, that's what this baby was doing. And he holds this baby in his hand and says this. Now I can depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, baby, eight-day-old baby, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, remember, through you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, and for the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled, I'm sure, at what was said about him. Eight-day-old baby. All the promises of God, all at once. 
And so then, we'll skip over that. Now when you think about the Great Commission, which you will, of course, think about it in terms of that. I know I've gone really fast and I'm a little bit hyper sometimes about it. But think when you read the Great Commission, you're not just reading like, here's the big missions text. You're reading in one sense a text that kind of ties everything together. All the way back from the beginning, like all the strands, all the big redemptive, or all the strands of salvation in the Bible are tied together and lead to this great text that we call the Great Commission and flow out from there to today, still going, right? Then Jesus got over it at once. Let's read it again. All authority of heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. How are the nations going to be blessed? By people like us going out among them and living among them. That's what it is. It's God's promise to Abraham. So when you're out, when I'm out, and we're Christians, you know what we're doing? We're living out a promise that was made ages and ages and ages ago in the desert to some guy named Abram. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Right? So, that's Acts. We're going to skip that. Okay. Now, this is a quick overview. We're bringing the story up to today. I stole this from a guy called Matt Chandler, who's, who's a famous guy in Texas. Pretty, most of you probably heard of him. So I just stole this right from him. This is kind of the story of how the Great Commission rolled on. A.D. 49, Paul's in Turkey, what we call Turkey. 52, Thomas, according to church tradition, is in India. A.D. 54, Paul's third missionary journey. 174, there's Christians in what we now call Austria. By 280, there's Christians in what we now call, well, what was always northern Italy. <laughs> right, they knew what it was then, too. Um, by three, the age three... Age. By the year 350, 53% of the Roman Empire claims Christianity. I know all the sociopolitical stuff involved with that. But don't get hung up with that. I mean, the fact is there's still a lot of people saying they're Christians. Where they all, we're going to put that aside. You're like, I wouldn't even have thought about it if you hadn't kept mumbling about it forever. So that's probably my fault. Um, 432, St. Patrick, who we call St. Patrick, goes to Ireland. Uh, 596, that's wrong. That is not when Augustine goes to England I think it's, uh, that's probably 396 is my guess. So just skip that. It's still pretty impressive. Uh, two years later, by two years later, there's 10,000 Christians in what we now call the UK. In 635, Christians go to China. 740, there's Irish missionaries in Iceland. By 900, missionaries in Norway. By 1200, the Bible's translated into 22 languages. By 1490, now we're going fast now, I understand. By 1498, Christianity spread to Kenya. And then through the Jesuits and through what we call the Reformation, the modern missions movement, English Puritans, European immigrants of various sorts, the Great Awakening, westward expansion, Louisville, Kentucky. There we are. I put that part in. I didn't steal that last bit from Matt Chandler. That's mine, the Louisville part. So take that. Okay. I know that's really, really fast. But the point is this. It's so easy for us just to kind of take the story of the Bible for granted, right? Of course, it's the Bible. But you see, it has everything to do with what we are and who we are. And, we're, we're, and again, 
it's not just our marching orders. It's not just sort of the handbook for Christians, like the, the life book or the how-to. It's not just sort of the how-to for life or for missions or for family or for whatever it is you do. The Bible is the thing that tells us who we are. Like down to your very core, who you are. And not just who you are, who everybody is. Now, I know people get really offended by that. And they're like, how can you guys be so arrogant talking about one story? It claims to be one story. That's what it, that's what it claims. To tell everybody's story. And then the question is, is do we really believe it, it tells my story? Do, do we really believe that it tells my story? Your story. Do we really think in terms of that's who we are? That's what makes us tick. And that's what sets us free. That's what sets us free to go into what we call, in, in quotes, missions. Right? It does. All the groundwork's laid. You don't have to be a pioneer. Now, if there's anybody from pioneers here, I'm sorry, I don't mean that personally. But you don't have to be like a, you don't have to sort of lay all the groundwork. It's already been laid for you. It just has. Even if you go to an unreached people group, the groundwork's been laid for you. How? Through God keeping His promises. That's how. And so, you know, we know exactly what it is God wants us to do. And what does He wants us to do? He wants us to use the gifts and abilities we have for His glory, for the kingdom. Because it doesn't stop in Louisville, Kentucky, believe it or not. Whoops. Look at this. The end. We got through the whole Bible. After this, this is the book of Revelation. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Through you all the nations of earth will be blessed. Well, there it is. There's the ultimate fulfillment of that blessing. When one day, when all the nations, including us, all of us in here, who claim to be Christians, who, who believe in Jesus, who um, trust in Him, everybody will be gathered there as the evidence of what? That God keeps His promise. God keeps His promise. In, in all ways, in all times, constantly. And it's the one thing that you can count on. In the midst of all, you know, like a lot of you in the middle, midst right now are struggling, like, what's God's will for my life? Anybody ever wondered about that? What's God's will? I mean, maybe, it, I'm sure you have. Who hasn't? Right? Or you've thought, I wonder if I'm call, like, the call, right? The call. It's got to be sort of like, like that. Well, you know what? All you have to do is figure out what God has made you good at doing. I know there's, it's more complicated than that, but that, at the basis of it, that's, at the very fundamental core of it, you need to just find out what has God made you able to do. Not in comparison to all your buddies. Or anybody else for that matter. But what has God made you to do? And then go back and read these promises. And understand, we're, we're already out among the nations. We are. It didn't start with us. We are. We're here. Now, we sort of turned it around and we kind of think the nations like are everything but America. But America exists because God kept his promise to the nations, not because it is like the nation from which God keeps all of his promises. We're, we're just part of God keeping his promises. Not the beginning of it or the end. We're something along the way. 
right? And so we're, I mean, and so, you know, again, you don't have to think in terms of geography. I want to encourage you to think in geography, but it's not just geography. In fact, it's barely geography. Geography is just a place. That's all it ever is. I know it's like newsflash, right? But geography is just only ever a place. That is all it will ever be. Because the whole earth is the Lord's. The entire thing. And one day, the glory of the Lord will fill the whole entire earth. So there will only really be one place. That's what we're going towards, right? One day when there's only one place. And that is the one place of the dwelling place of the God of creation who reveals himself to us in Jesus. It'll be one place. One big place. And so that's what we're all about. So that's all you got to do. You just got to find your place, wherever it is. And if you find your place and you know that you're, and you're, you're confident and you think, okay, I'm doing what God's given me to do at this moment. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing in five years, two weeks, ten years. At this moment, I'm in my place where God has put me. And so what do you got to do? You just live that story out in what you say and what you do. And you don't have to be remarkable and you don't have to be like the subject of a biography. And your life doesn't have to be remarkable and like known to everybody. Because at the end of the day, none of us are going to stand up and say, hey, look at all the great stuff I did. Can you believe it? I mean, I mean, they did some good stuff, but I mean, come on. Nobody's going to point the finger at themselves ever. We'll all just point the finger at Christ. Right? Because he's the one about, this, that's who the story's really about. At the end of the day, it's not going to be about us. And so, we have the freedom today to turn our focus off ourselves and turn our focus fully on him and then, in, do, in so doing, find our place in God's big story of redemption and the story of missions in the Bible. Well, I hope, I hope it's been helpful. I know it's been a lot of information. I've seen some of you scribbling stuff down. I can make this PowerPoint thing available if you're interested. If you're not, it's fine. And if you need my contact information, I have some fancy little stickers. They're not really fancy. They're just stickers with my name on it. I guess that's fancy to me. I've never seen my name in stickers all over the place before. So um, I hope it's been helpful for you. I've had a really good time. I, I really just feel really passionate about these things. And not because I've arrived. Right? This, this is the last thing I'm going to say. It's sometimes easy to think, if somebody's talking about something, they must have it all figured out. That's wrong. That's wrong. I'm the last person who has it all figured out. Um, but I'm just here today doing what, uh, taking, taking advantage of an opportunity that God gave me. So, every blessing to you this weekend and all the things that you're, that you're planning on doing. And um, I, hope that, uh, I hope you'll walk out of here conscious of the fact that this is you. It's who you are. Blessings.